Wonderful. So good to be with you, Marcross. It's lovely. Um, love the worship. Fantastic. Can I take a moment with me? Yeah, sure. <laughs> that was awesome. Well done, guys. And Sam was marvellous too, so well done. Really good. Okay. Good. I'm Andy. Brought my wife, Janet. Brought my three kids with me. Um, we're over from Kings Lynn, uh, where we planted a church about, well, it's going to be 10 years this year. 10 years this year. So, uh, it's good to be with you guys this morning. If you've got a Bible, do you want to grab it and turn with me to Matthew 28, 19? While you're turning it, I think, um, do you know what, I love last words. In fact, I've got a book called Famous Last Words, and it's a book full of the famous last words of different people. Some of them are famous, uh, some of them are not so famous, some of them are poignant, some of them uh, funny, and some of them just weird. And um, Karl Marx, when asked by his housekeeper uh, if he had any last words just before he died, said, go on, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Uh, Jim Harkins said, I want to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather, not screaming in terror like his passengers. <laughs> Voltaire said this, now, now, my good man, this is no time to be making enemies. Voltaire on his deathbed in response to a priest who asked him to renounce Satan. Winston Churchill said this, I am ready to meet my maker. Whether my maker is prepared for the ordeal of meeting me is another matter. And then lastly, this is uh, General John Sedgwick at the Battle of uh, Splotsylvania in 1864 in the U.S. Civil War. And his last words were, they couldn't hit an elephant at this dist. <laughs> You'll get that in a minute. So normally people don't waste their last words. People's last words are the most important thing that they want us to be left with and to live our lives with. And so Jesus' last words are in Matthew 28 and 19, and he says this, or verse 18, he says this, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. I love the fact that some of the contributions that we had this morning were about the fact that Jesus will build his church. And nothing's going to prevail. It's Jesus' job to build the church. Our job is to go and make disciples. And as we do that, Jesus builds his church. And um, so you may have guessed from that little intro what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about the E word. The E word. Evangelism. And the minute I say that word, 10% of you are going, yes, get in. And the rest of you are going, dentist. <laughs> Rather be at the dentist having root canal work. Not that I've ever had that done, but that's often what people would think when it comes to uh, the word evangelism. So this morning what I want to do is to dispel some of the uh, guilt that we feel about evangelism because often you'll get somebody like me who will come and tell some stories about evangelism, make you all feel guilty that you're not very good at it, make you go out and do it a little bit next week. It's hard. And then you give up and then forget about it for another six months until they get somebody else in like me who's going to annoy you about evangelism. I want to dispel some of that. I want to put the fun back into fundamentalism and the energy back into evangelism by a thing called Friends, Food and the Gospel. Did I mention that I've written a book? 
He did. Yeah, okay. So what, this morning, what I really want to do is just give us three little principles of how we do life and have managed to make evangelism something that's part of our life, part of uh, our small group, and along the way have learned how to make some disciples. Because uh, I'll admit, uh, I'll share a secret with you. I can't do street evangelism. I can't really do that standing on a street corner preaching thing. It, it scares me silly. The treasure hunting thing, which some people are brilliant at. You know where they, where you get some words of knowledge and you go out in the streets and, and you get them. It scares me silly. I mean, I've only done it about three times and I was scared stiff doing it, but it, it went okay. But I, it's not me. It's not the way I'm wired. And I guess for many of us, when it comes to people talking about evangelism, we're thinking, I'm just not wired that way. That's not who I am. Well, let me just help us to all obey the commandment from Jesus to go and make disciples. And the first thing I want to say is this, that um, Jesus, when he was picking his disciples, when he was picking the, the guys that were fishermen, he went up to them. He went up to Peter and the guys and he said, look, come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. How many of you go angling? One, two. Okay, I won't be too rude then. So when we talk about fishing in the UK, apart from in Kingsland, which is a port and has got lots of fishermen, but normally when we talk about fishermen, fishing, most of us are thinking middle-aged bloke, sorry guys, um, <laughs> sat on a ri riverbed with a rod. No, not at all. Okay, I'm painting a really bad picture. Okay, not middle-aged man. Somebody on their own on a riverbank getting some peace and quiet with a rod and line. Okay? Yeah? Yeah, okay. Okay, maybe getting some peace and quiet after a hard day's work, a hard week's work, all that sort of thing. But when Jesus said to those guys, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, they're not thinking bloke on his own with a rod and line. They're thinking team. They are thinking, this is what we do for a living. We know this. This is us. We work together as a team. And because their livelihoods and their lives depended on it. When I think of the disciples... And what they would have been listening, they're thinking about how they work together, just like those Middle Eastern fishermen there. Think, Peter, he's the boss, standing at the front. He knows where to go and uh, where the shoals of fish are going to be. You can think James and John, nicknamed Sons of Thunder, rowing away, except when they're angering, arguing. Then you can see Andrew at the helm as Peter is pointing where to go. You can see Zebedee, the oldest most of the time he's at sleep, snuggled in among the nets, but ready to spring into action when they're needed. They are working as a team, each one of them playing to their strengths. In the West, we often think of an individualistic culture. When somebody comes and talks about evangelism, we think, I've got to go and do some evangelism, and I've got to go and reach my friend on my own. And our individual lifestyles often make it hard for us to reach out to other people. And so there's a lot of guilt and a lot of pressure about it. But what we've got here is a concept that the disciples would have got, that it's team. Everyone playing to their strength, doing the thing that they are good at, or good at and going for it. So they would have recognized that you know, maybe James and John, the muscular ones, could row. Pete's good at directing where to go. Andrew, you know, is good at um, uh, actually operating the helm. All of them doing different things. We can think of making disciples as a process. 
that we all get to play a different part in that process. We all get to play, uh, play some of our strengths, build on our strengths, use our strengths, not our weaknesses to go for it. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, look, um, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul recognizes that different people have different strengths. That's in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. We've all got different strengths. We've all got different things that we are good at and can help bring to the party when it comes to working as a team together to reach people. Now, I've looked at it in the Bible, and I reckon there's about six different styles, six different types of people when it comes to this whole thing of witnessing. In many churches, and when I was growing up, the evangelist is the harvester. They're the one that's good at leading people to Christ. And whenever the evangelist comes to church, they would um, excite us with stories of how they've led people to Christ and exhort us to do the same, exhort us to be bold and go out there and share the gospel. They would give us some wonderful tools, like, I don't know, the four spiritual laws or the bridge to life or something. Give us all those kind of tools and say, go on, go for it. And some of you will be brilliant at doing that. Others of you, you think, no, I cannot do that. But if we rely on just the harvesters, we're not going to reach many people. Because there's only about 10% of us probably that are good at that. But if we go for it as a team, we can all go for it. And so I reckon there's six different ways. Some of you, some of you are connectors. You're great at making friends. You are really good at connecting with people. Um, you are... You might be someone, if you're on Facebook, you've got hundreds of friends on Facebook. You know, most of us have probably got 100 friends at the moment, or acquaintances on Facebook. Connectors have probably got hundreds and hundreds of people that they know. They are people that can connect people together. You're the kind of person that when somebody new to the area comes and says, look, I'm looking for a plumber, you know, oh, I know Bob, he can plumb. You know, you just know different people. You know lots of people. Some of you are connectors. Get out there and make friends. Get out there and introduce the friends that you've got to other people in your small group and into the church. Some of you are reasoning. Some of you are just really good at answering questions. Toby Skipper. He's good at answering questions, isn't he? We've got a guy in my church, Andy King. He's good at answering questions. Some of you are more a reasoning style. You just know the answers to the question. And every time uh, Tim Keller writes another book, you buy it before anyone else. Because you want answers to questions so that you can help people with their questions. In Acts 18, Paul went to the Areopagus in Athens and he'd wandered around the city and he noticed that there was lots of different statues to lots of different gods there. And then there was one to the unknown God. And so he used that and began to answer their questions and draw them to Christ. Some of you are connectors. You're good at making friends. Some of you are good at answering questions. Others of you are wonderful storytellers. You're great at telling stories of what God has done in your life. Your testimony of how you came to faith, but little stories along the way of different things that God has done. And when somebody tells you, oh, I've, I'm going through this at the moment, you've got a story to show how God can break through and help, help them do that, get through. The blind man that was healed by Jesus in John 9 gets into an argument, or he's about to get into an argument with the Pharisees. And he says this. He says, whether Jesus, because they're arguing about whether Jesus is a sinner or not, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I do not know. He's not a reasoning guy. 
But what I do know is though I was blind, now I see. He's a guy that can tell a story. So some of you are connectors. Some of you are reasoners. You're good at answering questions. Some of you are storytellers. Others of you were really annoyed with me when I said I can't do treasure hunting. Because power is your thing. The power gifts is your thing. Maybe you're somebody that moves in the word of knowledge a lot. And you do that with unbelievers. Or you can interpret dreams. I love interpreting dreams. I interpreted a dream on Twitter for somebody who wasn't a Christian, which is really hard. Those of you that know, don't know what Twitter is, it's a weird way of, it's like Facebook for weird people. 140 characters. 140 letters is all you can write. Interpreted a dream for a non-Christian in 140 letters. Some of you are power people. You love to use the spiritual gifts out there with non-believers. You love the opportunity to prophesy over unbelievers. You prophetic types. It's not that many people to prophesy over in the church, is there? But there's quite a lot out there. Go for it. Use your gift out there. Others of you are serving. Serving style. You can use your... Your servant-heartedness, your giftedness at serving people, making good food, delivering watermelon with a bandana on. Um, uh, 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 things that the small group does in church, serving to help people into the kingdom, whether it be helping somebody. We had somebody, last week we had a men's night at our church. We, get, we get gathered every, all the guys in, and one guy didn't turn up. Well, two people didn't turn up, one for a silly reason, but the other one said, sorry, Andy, I couldn't make it. There was a guy who'd broken down and his tire was burst, and so I helped him change his tire. I thought, awesome, well done, mate. He's a servant, really good. And they get to be at some of our, we do lots of parties, and at our parties, the serving types, you can see them with smiles on their faces and flour all down their fronts as they're making pizza or helping with the barbecue, all that sort of thing. And they get the blessing. The whole thing about this team thing is that when somebody comes to Christ, the people that we're serving are as much a part of the process as the connectors who first made the friends, the reasoners who answered some of the questions, the power people who maybe got to get, give them a word of knowledge. We're all part of a team working together. Do you see how releasing it is? No guilt about you've got to get out there when it's not your thing. We all use the things that we're strength, we've got as a strength. Dorcas was a brilliant example of serving. Um, and she's also a brilliant example of showing that if you just use serving on its own, it can take a long time for people to come to Christ. In fact, she had to die first, didn't she, before anyone became a Christian. So I'm not advocating that as, as a servanthood way of doing it. But, you know, when you work as a team, God's blessing and God is on it. And then there's those that are harvesters. They are the ones who are confident at sharing the gospel and inviting the response to Jesus. So we had... Um, in our, uh, in our setting, we had a St. Patrick's night. You'll see a photo of it later on. We won't go to it yet. But we had a, a picture of a... Uh, we had um, uh, a St. Patrick's night. So it's March the 17th, and we're having a party with our small group. We're gathering all of the Christians in the small group together and all the non-Christian friends that we know, just like Matthew in the Bible. You know Matthew, the tax collector? As soon as he gets, uh, becomes a Christian, he holds a party. He has a party for his non-Christian mates, his tax collector and sinner mates, and the disciples, and Jesus comes, and they just have a party together, and they're trusting that the Holy Spirit is working. Well, we have one of these St. Patrick's nights, and, and there's, um, uh, so we're cooking Irish food, 
things that are green, things that have been boiled for about two years, um, which is basically what Irish food is. Um, you ever tried Irish stew? Get some potatoes and some lamb and boil it for three days. Um, it's lovely. Um, and uh, so, we, so the servers have been helping. You know, everyone have been doing stuff. And then the, the next Tuesday on our small group night, um, Xi Ping, one of our Chinese girls that was there, said, just said, do you know what? There's something about you lot that's different and I'm finding it really attractive. And I got to sit down with a piece of paper and draw a bridge to life. And everyone in the group, as they were all chatting and having coffee and stuff, we led her and her friend to the Lord. But it wasn't me that led them to the Lord. It was the whole team. We'd all worked as a team together and everyone had had a part to play in leading her together. We don't do lone wolf evangelism where only the harvesting type of people get to enjoy it. We work together as a team. We want everyone to get excited. We want everyone to get passionate about it. Everyone getting to play, to use their strengths to help make disciples. And so the first principle that I wanted to bring to you today was that, that come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Think team. In your small groups or whatever setting you have for getting down small, think team. Think how some of you are connectors. Some of you are reasoning style. Some of you are good at telling stories. Some of you are good at using power. Some of you are good at serving. Some of you are good at harvesting. But let's work together as a team for this. The second principle is this. Be hospitable. Hebrews 13 verses 1 to 2 says this. It says, let brotherly love continue. And don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I love that scripture, because the author of Hebrews is balancing, he's doing a bit of a play on words, which we completely miss in English, but he's balancing two things. Brotherly love is the Greek word Philadelphia, not just a brand of soft cheese, Philadelphia, and not just a city where Denzel Washington made a film. Uh, Philadelphia means to love the brothers. Let brotherly love continue. Philadelphia. Show hospitality to strangers is a complete mash-up because English has lost the sense of the word of another Greek word, philoxenia, which means love the stranger, love the foreigner. The word hospitality comes from philoxenia. It means love the stranger, love the foreigner, love them so that they are part of your family and get to become part of the family of God. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, Brotherly love, loving strangers and foreigners, bringing them in. Balance the two together. Put the two together, just like Matthew did when he got his tax collector mates and his disciple mates together for a party. And God worked. The word hospitality really does need rehabilitating. Um, if you mention the word in many churches, we think of potluck suppers after the members meeting. Probably not here. While good and possibly fun, that's just with the brothers and the sisters. Hospitality is an evangelistic thing. It's opening up your home to foreigners and strangers. It's one of those words that even in English, it comes from back in the medieval days, the word, the word was um, hospes, Latin word hospes, and it's where hospices came from, which is a haven, it originally was, for travelers on their way to be looked after because the inns and stuff were dangerous. And then gradually it morphed into hospital and all those words that we have, hospitality. And so we now have a hospitality industry where you can get a degree in it and earn lots of money doing it without being hospitable at all. 
without loving the foreigner and stranger into the family. And the challenge of this is, if you're a Brit and you come from the south of England-ish, or the southern part of England, okay, we have this stronghold, don't we? Have you ever heard of an Englishman's home as his castle? Don't we just? You walk down the street at night, all the curtains are shut, all the doors are locked, all you can see is this blue light flickering. We don't have a drawbridge and a moat anymore. We have locked front doors. And our homes that were meant to be, as it were, they were meant to be a haven for the hurting, a place for foreigners and strangers to be gathered in, become a haven from the world. So the challenge is that we become hospitable, that we become open to having people coming in, that we begin to love the foreigner, the stranger, those that don't yet know part Jesus, and we begin to mix them into our life. The other annoying thing about evangelists is they always try to add something, don't they? As if you're not busy enough in life, they now tell you to go and do something else. Well, what we've learned is that I eat every day, three times at least, probably four or five actually, to be honest. Married an Irish girl, so we have supper later on at night after we've already had our tea. We do what we're already doing, but add in those that don't yet know the Lord. And so what we do in our, in our small group setting is we think of any excuse to party. Any excuse to party. Friday night we had a Burns night. There's not one Scottish person amongst us. <laughs> but we celebrated the death of that degenerate poet from Scotland by eating far too much haggis, which is all right on Burns night, but not the day after. Neeps and tatties, which are apparently potatoes and turnips, but I couldn't find turnips, so we had Sweden instead. But we had a massive meal, loads of people uh, brought and helped and all those sorts of things. The serving people were in the kitchen doing their stuff. The connecting people are connected to people and brought new friends in. The reasoning people were probably answering questions, but I didn't notice. The power people were thinking, Burns is really weird. I can't do power tonight, but we'll do it another night. Um, and, and, you know, but it, it was an opportunity to draw people in. And to, and to build friendships and look for this next principle, which is this. Look for men and women of peace. Look for men and women of peace. I, have we got another slide? Scary pyramid thing. Scary pyramid thing. We look for men and women of peace. Right, so in, in the nation at a minute, right down at the bottom of the pyramid, this is representing all the population of the UK, right down at the bottom there, most of the people out there do not know any Christians whatsoever. So I was chatting, I was actually on the streets chatting to this young lad um, uh, a year or so ago and talking, and he knew nothing, he didn't even know Jesus was a name. Most people don't know any Christians and know nothing about the gospel at all. That's at the bottom. Next layer up is people that are open to friendship. They're open to being friends with us. And so we meet people. We meet people at the gym. We meet people uh, every week. I, I get my petrol from the same garage roughly the same time, so I get to speak to uh, Liam every single week. We get to know different people in our daily lives. And so they've become open to friendship. Our last Burns night on Friday, uh, the, our kid's piano teacher came, who's become a friend of ours. So people are open to friendship. And connectors are brilliant at making friends and, and grabbing them in. They're making friends wherever they go and grabbing them in. And what we see is people go up towards the journey of becoming a disciple is that some people are open to message. They are 
what Jesus called a man and a woman of peace. When you go into a village, look for your peace to rest on somebody. Somebody that's got something of the peace of God around, about them and something of an interest in the gospel. Maybe even tiny. Maybe they're just asking questions. Maybe they even, sheeping, the Chinese girl I already mentioned said, I met all of you lot and there was something different about you and I want it. Now that's what we call a woman of peace. And see, Jesus said that by this, all men will know your disciples if you love one another. As people come into the environment of us enjoying ourselves together, but in a godly way, they see something of the love that God is in us, and it is so attractive to them. One of the funny things about the Burns night was that the kid's piano teacher had bought herself a Scottish folk tunes book so she could play our piano and get us singing some Scottish folk tunes. And I think she said to my daughter beforehand, I'm only playing the piano if I'm a bit drunk. But actually, that's not going to happen here tonight, is it? No, but she did play the piano. She had a great time. People get drawn in and gradually they begin to ask questions and begin to spark an interest in them. One of the other Chinese girls that we led to the Lord a year or two ago said, I kept going to museums and galleries and seeing pictures of Jesus. And that sparked an interest. Now, that is the weirdest interest sparker I've ever seen. But anyway, it was good. People get open to the message. And then gradually, the harvesters are talking. The storytellers are telling their stories. The reasoning people are answering questions and leading alphas. And next steps for people. And gradually, they get to a place where they're not just open to the message. They're ready to commit to Jesus. So what we're doing is we're looking to mobilize everybody in our small groups, whether you've got the reasoning style, the power style, the serving style, the storytelling style, or connecting. Mobilize everyone. Let's have some fun. Let's have some parties. Let's enjoy life together and draw non-Christians into that and see what happens. Here's how we do it in about three minutes. So what we do in our small group is we recognize, first of all, we work out who is it? Who's the ones that are friendly ones? Who's the connectors? Who are the good ones? Yeah, we work out how we can work as a team, the serving people. Uh, we work out how we can work as a team. And then we look for a common ground of activity that we can do together. Some groups um, you know, go bowling. Some groups like films, and so they go and watch films. The problem with films is you're sitting next to people quiet. So you have to go out for coffee afterwards to talk about the film. Even if you go to La La Land and think, what on earth was that all about? And why didn't it end so weirdly? Um, find an area of common ground, whatever. But we found that eating and having parties that involve eating is brilliant because everybody eats. And there's not many cultures that don't like eating together. Apart from one culture that we went to, where we had some folk in our town from Sri Lanka, where they do this thing, they're an unashamed culture, and so you go to their house for a meal, and they set just a plates for you, feed you while they're watching, which to Brit is weird, um, because they're honouring you. And then they will eat afterwards, and you're looking at the food thinking, how much can I eat? <laughs> so there's enough left for them when we've gone. And the, but most cultures... We eat, to, you know, people don't mind eating together and love eating together. And the thing about food together is it just relaxes people and enables us to just chill out and enjoy one another's company. So we look, as I've said, to any excuse to play a party. Burns night, Patrick's night's coming up next week, uh, next month, sorry. Birthdays, barbecues, pizza nights, Christmas anything, even 
tenuous excuses like there is apparently an International Pi Day, which is when kind of geeky mathematicians get really excited because pi is a good number. Well, we had a bring a pie night. Why celebrate 3.14, whatever it is, when you can eat pie? So we ate pie all night. It's awesome. Then what we're doing is we're looking for next steps, alpha, or whatever it is, different ways of helping people to find Christ. Now, the way when you put this into practice, that you work out we can do it as a team and all of us play to our strengths, is that we can all be engaged in it. We can all enjoy doing it. It takes the bar right down to make it something that we can all do. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray that this could begin to enter your DNA as a church because it is. A, we have found, I think we, in the last two years, we've seen about 10 new disciples through this. 10 new disciples, which is just awesome. Now, some of those are people that have moved on to other na- back to other nations because we're a very multicultural church. But we've found it's just a, a, a lovely way, a fun way of engaging everybody in having fun, making friends, eating food, and sharing the gospel. So let me pray for you. Father God, I want to thank you for Marcross. Thank you for the awesome sense of your presence here. Thank you for wonderful worship as we worship to you. And Lord, we want to see many more worshippers created, Lord. We want to see disciples made. And so I pray, God, that you would energize everybody here, the connectors, the reasoners, the servers, the storytellers, the power folks and the harvesters. God, I pray, energize each one with the power of your spirit to work together as a team. Lord, we want to work together and enjoy life together in our small groups. And I pray that you would use that to draw in those that don't yet know us. Lord, give us friendships with people who are going to be men and women of peace, Lord. We pray for low-hanging fruit for this church, Lord. People that are great, friendships are formed, but who are so hungry for you. Jesus, I really ask you for this church that they would see much uh, new disciples being made, much fruit being harvested and friendships being made, Lord God. I pray that there be a real release here of salvation growth. In this part of Norwich, Lord, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I packed rather a lot into 32 minutes there. Uh, I open it up a bit more in the book. So if you would like to get the book, I'd love you to buy a copy. Money doesn't go in my pocket. It goes to our church uh, to help the mission of the church. Um, But we've got some copies over there if you want to grab one at a fiver each. Bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Thank you.